morning. Hey, we're already off to a better start, right, than last week? Good morning, Sunlight! I had to do that. I, I watched the NFL draft, and I've been to concerts, and I've never got to do that. It really wasn't all I thought it was going to be. <clears throat> thought it might be better. Well, it's great to be back with you again for the second week in a row. Um, and of course, as a teacher, one of the things that I always do after I teach something is the next day we review it, right? That's the obvious thing to do. Did you get the concept I was trying to teach? Um, but I teach math, so... Um, that's usually what we're going to, you know, try to review a little bit today. So, well, you know, we're not going to have math today. We're going we're gonna to see what we learned from last week. Um, go ahead and put the first slide up there. Oh, maybe, well, maybe we are going to learn a little math today. Um, how about that? How about, can you do that? Back in your old days, you remember how to do those things? Oh, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, you already got the answer? Good for you. Isaac's figured it out right here. He's in my third block class. We did this a couple months ago, so it is a review for him. Uh, you know, I'm a math teacher, so when I talk to people, they always go, oh, most of the time, it's one of two answers, right? You teach math? Oh, I never really liked math too much. You know, were you one of those people? And then, I, uh, then some people, when I put that equation up there, like Isaac, their eyes lit up. They're like, oh, yeah, I love math. I want to do math. Yeah, that's my favorite subject. That's about, you know, 2% of the people, maybe a little more than that. But, you know, you never, oh, my gosh, I can't, I really can't believe what I'm seeing right now. My principal's in the back. His head's on his down. He's, he doesn't have notes out. He's not paying attention. Unbelievable. Shabandi, let's go. Get with it to this morning, huh? Come on. So, anyway, we want to review a little bit today. So, last week... Uh, we did talk about a few things. Let's see what we have here. Um, point number one, go ahead and move on. We talked about three things, right? We need to, number one, draw near to God in faith. Number two, we need to hold on to the hope we have in Jesus. And then number three, we need to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So we're going to start with that today. And since you were the audience last week, you get to be the people that need to review this week and, and, and uh, respond to what you learned or did last week. So what we're going to do to start the sermon today is I want you to respond to one of two questions. They're going to be up there for you. One, I encouraged blank last week by doing blank, or I was encouraged last week by blank who did or said something to me. Okay? So, I know, scary. Got to talk in front of a mic, in front of people. Not everyone's going to want to get up and do this, but that is, to me, like what I read at the end of last service the service last week, one of our people encouraging us, and, and I hope something happened this week. So if you feel so led, um, we're going to give you a time to say just a couple sentences. I don't want a sermon, I just want a couple sentences of how God encouraged you this week through someone else, or how, I know it's hard to say how you encourage, you feel like you're bragging and the sermon's on pride and I get all that, but maybe either one, it's okay, it's not really bragging, right, because I'm asking for it. Anybody have the courage to get up and say a few words about how they feel like they were encouraged or they encouraged someone this week? James, come on up. Oh, maybe I can come to you somehow a little bit. Yeah, I have a mic here. 
just want to say I was encouraged by everybody who came out yesterday to celebrate Shannon's graduation, and thanks everybody who came. We had a great time, and uh, it was just great to, to celebrate the big day uh, with her. Thank you. I was encouraged this week in FCA. I have multiple freshmen that are in FCA, and one of them stepped up and, and led a meeting this week for the first time. And it's super cool to see high school kids in a public school given a devotional about the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. That was super encouraging to me. Anyone else? Oh, we got one in the back. Awesome. Good. Karen? I was just encouraged this last week, just kind of having a rough week and going to the women's ministry, our Bible study on Wednesdays. Um, just being surrounded by loving women, um, people that might be going through the same thing that you might be going through and can just relate to you, and you're like, I'm not alone. Um, just, it's just a great group of women. I'd encourage anybody, if they have not done that, to do that. It's just we're doing 1 Corinthians and talking about love and God's love and what a better way to show it. So Awesome. Got it? Thank you. Anybody else? Here we go. You set up front for a reason. Yes. Uh, I was encouraged by the Lord this week um, because for the last month or two, he's been side by side with me going through some things and um, was with me every step of the way. And uh, he is guiding me to completion. So uh, I'm very encouraged by that, that this trial ordeal is uh, just about done. Awesome. Thank you. Nate, I'm getting there. Yeah, so you guys know about the Home for Holly project, but um, yeah, there's some, there's a lot of very faithful people within this church that have shown love to our family as we're working through this um, all-consuming uh, process. But uh, there's one person who, who just shows up faithfully all the time, and, um, and it's uh, Rick. And Rick has been extremely um, encouraging to us. I'm assuming it's not because he's addicted to my wife's food, but I think it's because he enjoys helping. So thank you, Rick. You've encouraged us greatly. That's, that's great. Anybody else? Nick? Um, I was encouraged by the church and elders this last week because um, they came and mowed my lawn for me, which is just amazing because it was getting quite out of hand. Thank you. Anyone else? Our family has been so encouraged by how much you guys have loved on us, and we're so glad to be feeling like we're a part of this church family, and thank you for all of that. And then also specifically, there are so many of you that have showed up and helped us in our house project, getting our house ready to be finished so we can live fully in, in the house we bought this uh, last summer. And I, I mean, Bill Robinson, Charlie Pettibone, um, Matt Wells came and rescued us from a um, gushing pipe last week. 
So we're, we're so encouraged by the help and the love and the support that we feel from all of you. Thanks. Last chance. Oh, two more. Yeah, I, I, I'm really encouraged uh, on a daily basis by my beautiful wife here. Her faith and, uh, and uh, love for Christ really grounds me and keeps me uh, focused and kind of reins me in a little bit from mm -hmm. bowling through moment. life. Yeah. And she's the best. Wow, man, how do we, how do, we do that one? I just um, was encouraged this morning. Uh, last weekend, we went away for our women's, or our women's retreat. And as much as we love being together, and that's so refreshing, when I came to church this morning and just felt flooded with the body of Christ, our brothers and our sisters together, um, it was just such a full feeling in my heart. And I just love sunlight, and um, together being the body is always encouraging. Outstanding. Don't want to cut anybody off. There's one more. Don't see anybody. That's awesome. I love hearing stories how uh, we're being the body of Christ and we're encouraging each other. So today, remember, our core principle that we're talking about in this series is how we must battle unbelief for the sake of love, holiness, and sin killing because believing God's promises gives us an amazing power to love better, to pursue holiness more, to kill sin in our lives. Sin has its root in unbelief, and we have to look to God's promises to overcome that unbelief and doubt that lies within us. And that changes our desires by believing God's promises are all that we need. So our goals for this series where we want to grow in love through greater joy, we want to pursue holiness by a greater treasure and kill sin with a superior pleasure. So before we get into God's word today to see how we're going to do that and battle unbelief, I want to kind of give you a little background on where this series is coming from and some of the, some of the philosophy and the mindset behind this series, and in particular the greater joy, greater treasure, and superior pleasure that, and what that's all about. So I want you to think about this question, and you can just write an answer down or type an answer in or just think of an answer in your head. What is the supreme goal or desire of a true follower of Jesus Christ? What is the supreme goal or desire of a true follower of Jesus Christ? So as you're thinking about that question, listen to this video and watch it too. Everyone wants to be happy. It influences everything we do, what job we take, whom we marry, where we live. We all want happiness. We may seek it in different ways and in different things, but we do seek it, and we do whatever we can to have it. On the other hand, there is a great, powerful, wise God. He made us, He defines what our lives are for, and one day He will judge the world, and the issue will be, did we honor Him, did we thank Him? So we have to choose, right? My happiness or God's glory? That's what it felt like to me for many years. And then I made one of the greatest discoveries of my life. You might say it started when I was six years old. Even then, I knew I was a sinner. There was no way I was good enough for heaven. 
So when my parents showed me that Jesus Christ died for sinners, even sinners like me, I wanted him. I welcomed him. But it wasn't until my early 20s that I saw that my desire to be happy and God's desire to be glorified were not at odds. I found in the Bible that they were, in fact, one thing. When you enjoy somebody a lot, you show everyone how important they are to you. We get the joy, God gets the glory. If I stop enjoying God, I stop glorifying God. This was almost too good to be true. I had learned one of the most important things in the world. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. So that's uh, John Piper's kind of life philosophy. It's called Christian hedonism. If you know what hedonism is, it's the pursuit of pleasure. He calls it Christian hedonism because it's pursuing pleasure, being that our ultimate satisfaction is in God. So there's literally like five tenets of it. I want to kind of go through those real quickly right now. Um, Summarize the five statements. Number one, the longing to be happy. We all want to be happy, right? Everybody says, yeah, I want my kids to be happy. It's a universal longing, and it's good. It's not sinful. Number two, we should never try to deny or resist our longing to be happy as though it were a bad impulse. Instead, we should seek to intensify this longing and nourish it with whatever will provide the most deepest and most enduring satisfaction. So, yeah, we should try to be happy, right, in the right way. Number three, the deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God. Number four, the happiness we find in God reaches its consummation when it expands to meet the needs of others in the manifold ways of love. And finally, to the extent we try to abandon the pursuit of our own pleasure, we fail to honor God and love people. Or to put it positively, the pursuit of pleasure is a necessary part of all worship and virtue. I don't know about you, for me, that was kind of a different way of thinking. That's a different way of kind of to thinking about, about my relationship with Christ. But, you know, what did you write down? See God move through you. Glorify God in all I do. Be happy. Um, you know, we could spend the whole sermon on this, but I just wanted to give you a little background of kind of where this sermon series is preached from and um, kind of the philosophy behind it. And so as we get into that today and as we go into, into uh, God's Word, uh, let's pray. Oh, God, we need you today. We need you to be here, we know that you're here, and we ask that as your word is preached, that your spirit would guide, your spirit would teach, your spirit would lead, because without your spirit, there's nothing of value that happens, and we just pray that that uh, something of value would happen today, because you are here, and you are present, and you are working in hearts and lives. In your name we pray, amen. So today we're going to talk about one, our first sin of unbelief. Um, and that sin of unbelief is pride. So we're going to start by reading um, a passage. So open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Great passage uh, of the faith. Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of, about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. 
By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, if you're a keen observer, you're going, I thought we were talking about pride, right? So, um, but unbelief is really the opposite of pride. And so, as we think about this, this faith that we're talking about here, um, faith, every faith that we have has, has its object in something. And our faith, obviously, the object is in God. And that object... Um, has an assurance. That word assurance there is a promise. And the word conviction, a conviction is a set of beliefs. So really what we're talking about is we have a promise from God that is based on a set of beliefs that we can bank on even though we can't see them. And that's what we're trying to do with this series is we're trying to understand God's promises are so real and his uh, and we have this unbelievable hope in them that that just deepens our faith. See, we start with this thing called belief. We believe in God. A lot of people believe in God, right? I mean, obviously the Bible says that, right? The devil believes in God. And you have a lot of friends that believe in God. But our belief then has to get deeper. And that deeper deepness comes through convictions we have of God's promises. And God's promises then, as we believe them to be true, develops our faith. And as our faith deepens, then that's, that's when the Christian life becomes so satisfying because as, you, as your faith deepens, um, it just takes you to another world. I mean, it takes you time to, it's, it's a dream world. It makes the real world kind of a dream world. It takes you to a vision of a better future and faith makes that a reality. If we believe those things God has promised, that's what faith really can do. And that's what the first two verses are trying to teach us here, that we can have confidence and hope in that faith, those beliefs that God has promised. Verse 3, I love. I love it all. But verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed by God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Isn't that, I mean, Genesis 1-1 says it, right? In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And here it says it in the New Testament, that we know as believers that before anything, there was God. Before the time-space continuum, there was God. And we believe that. And then out of nothing, God created. Genesis 1, Hebrews eleven three. 3. So God created something out of nothing. And we believe that. And it's not, it's faith. It's a little bit of faith. But it sure isn't as much faith as the other point of view, right? Where evolution has to say that things evolved, 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 evolved. Well, where did they start? Where did it start? Well, I guess there's some fiery... Well, how those fiery gases get here? Well, eventually they got to come back to their basic premise is something came from nothing. Do you want to believe something came from nothing and, and created this universe or do you want to believe God created everything? I, it, to me, it takes less faith to believe in God. But there, there we have the, uh, another promise of that right there. Verses 4 and 5 are great examples of faith. Abel. Abel. Why was Abel's sacrifice so much better than Cain's? I wanted to know that. I wanted to know, because it doesn't say a lot about it here. It just says, 
you know, his was acceptable. So why was it acceptable? Well, there, it doesn't say a lot. There could be a couple reasons. Number one, blood sacrifices might have been better than regular sacrifices, and Abel brought a blood sacrifice. But number two, and I think most importantly, was his attitude, right? His attitude about this sacrifice. And that's the same thing when we think about this, this attitude of pride and humility is that it's, our, it's all about our attitude. And his attitude was what God wanted and Cain's wasn't. And obviously Cain's wasn't because when Cain didn't get accepted by God, what did he do? He killed his brother, right? Maybe that's jealousy. Maybe that's envy. Maybe that's pride because he was comparing himself to his brother and he fell short. But in any instance, you know, that was sin, and Abel's attitude was right. And then the incredible thing, I think, after that, where it says, and by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Isn't that what faith is all about? Your faith, the deeper your faith, think about some of the relatives, maybe your parents and grandparents and their faith. And when they die, their faith still speaks. When you think about them, you think about of faith in Jesus Christ. You think about how their example led you closer to Jesus Christ. And living a life of faith is so powerful because it can do that for, for you. You want your life to be an example that will live on forever. Okay, As, as Casting Crown says, we don't want to leave a legacy, only Jesus. Well, we, leave, we have only Jesus by that faith that continues to develop in our lives. And, and that's what we're looking for. And finally, he concludes with the, the last verse, 6, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we believe we have faith. That leads us to hope, and that process seems to grow us deeper in our beliefs about God's promises and his truth. Um, it's not just something we say. It's not just head knowledge. It's a living energy that drives everything we do every day if this faith is real in our lives. So we're going to turn now to our area of uh, belief today that we want to try to strengthen. And 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So we know this, right? You didn't come in here and know that pride's bad, you know, didn't know that pride was bad, humility is good. Pride is a form of unbelief. There's a very close relationship between unbelief and pride. I would describe it this way. Unbelief is a turning away from Jesus or God in order to seek satisfaction in other things. Pride is a turning away from God specifically to take satisfaction in self. Or raising the importance of me so that I look better than you. Comparison. Pride's talked about all the time in the Bible. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Psalm 10.4. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 8.13. Pride's the opposite of humility, obviously, and this is what we read in Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. That is why patience is better than pride, Ecclesiastes 7, 8. In fact, pride is one of the seven deadly sins. Can you name the other six? Question? It's, it's really funny. I, was teach, I teach, and I was at school this week, and I just had finished reading this passage, and some student asked me, Mr. France, what are the seven deadly sins? Really? That's a good question. And I just like 
I mean, isn't that weird how sometimes those things happen? And I was just reading it. Of course, I couldn't remember all of them, but I remembered a few of them. Anger, covetousness, gluttony, lust, envy, sloth. We're going to talk about multiple of those in this uh, sermon series. Um, pride, the reason Satan is now in hell and Jesus is in heaven. And pride might be the worst sin of all because it says, I am more important than you are, God. I got this. I don't need you. So let's look at a few other scriptures, um, uh, starting in the Old Testament that talks about pride. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. You can look at them on the screen. We're going to take look at four more scriptures. The last one I'll have you look up in James. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So it, lest you say in your heart. I think that's, that's a good, I don't think we're always, you know, maybe some of us, most of us aren't stupid enough to say, oh, this is all for me, this is all for me. And God's saying, don't, don't believe it, right? I'm in control. I'm in command. I, I have everything here. Don't think that you got this by your might and your power. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So he's talking about three things that are boasted here. Wisdom, smarts, how smart I am, right? That's a, that's a common thing that we want to attain in life is intelligence. Um, and that's not wrong, nothing wrong with that. But again, not supposed to boast in that. Number two, might, strength, the body. You know, I want to, you know, I need to work out. I need my body to be beautiful. Um, you know, I was washing my hair this week and I'm like, man, it's taking me like three minutes to wash my hair. This is awful. And then I started thinking about, what about all those women? that have long hair. That'd be terrible. You know, I actually thought about Eva. Like, her hair's down to, like, holy cow. How was that? Oh, sorry, off track. Um, takes forever. But it, your body, you got to take care of your body. But is it your, you know, is it your most prized possession? Is it, are you boasting in your body? And finally, riches. You know, possessions. We want to have things, right? We want to be smart. We want to look good. And we want to have things. I mean, that scripture covers them all. And, it, and he's just saying, no, we don't want to boast in those things. The only thing we can boast of is Jesus and Jesus' life and what he's doing through us and how he's given us everything we have and how we can use that for him. Hosea 13, 5 and 6 says, but when, they are great, but when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. Talking about the Israelite people. I feel that way sometimes, right? I eat too much. I'm full. I want to take a nap, not necessarily forget God. But he said, well, you forgot me. I, I supplied manna for you. I supplied water for you in the desert. And yeah, you were good with that for a while, but eventually you just said, that's not enough. You know, we need more. We need more God come through for us. And you were proud. So the Old, defi the Old Testament definition of pride seems to be this. When I try to take the glory, honor, or power that can only be bestowed upon God, I'm practicing pride. We forget that everything we have comes from God, and we try to take credit for the good things that are happening, and we forget God. So let's look at our last passage. You can turn to this one, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 
says, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So the verse, the, this verse starts out with the word but, which means obviously it's, it's looking back to the past verses. So um, the past verses were many people who were kind of living in a worldly fashion. They weren't really committed to God. They, they didn't have a de- desire to follow God like they should. And so this verse starts with the word but to say God can give us the grace to do that. And then he gives us three things that should help us become humble. If pride is what we don't want, humility is what we want to desire and what we want to seek in life. And that's a tough thing. But this verse tells us three things that we need to do to be humble. Number one says submit. Submit. Which means accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will of another. Submit. We are under another, right? Men, we like that verse of the other place in the New Testament, don't we? Submit, ladies. Submit, women. Yeah, well, it's not just them. It's everybody, right? We all need to submit to God. We need to yield to God, to his supreme authority. He is in charge of all our decisions. Number two, resist. I love this picture of resist. Resist means withstand the action or effect of. Try to prevent by action or argument fight against or refuse to agree. So when you resist something, you can't resist it passively. You can't say, I'm going to resist the devil passively. We have to do something about it, whether it's change our thoughts, change where we're at, actively move. Uh, If we're in a situation that might cause us to sin, we leave the situation. Whatever it might be, when we resist There has to be something actively that we decide and choose to do so that we don't succumb to that. I mean, I just think about what I read last week with Shannon, right? She decided, she chose to make a decision. She resisted the devil because of that choice. That's what resistance is. And if you're not actively doing something to prevent it, a lot of times that means you're accepting it, right? If you're submitting to God. So I think about this area of resisting for me as an example of sin in pride is this, this idea of comparison. You know, if you're an athlete or involved in athletics, it's almost like that's all you do is compare, right? If you have a game, how good are they? Can we beat them? If you're in a team sport, if you're an individual sport, it's even worse because you're playing one person or two people or you're head to head. Comparison, comparison, comparison. Well, you kind of have to do that in some ways, right? You got to find out weaknesses. You got to try to be the best athlete you can and get better. But what's that comparison leading you to, right? As a coach, I do the same thing. I compare myself to other people. Well, comparison isn't, doesn't have to be bad, just like a lot of things. But it depends on, on what our mindset is about it, right? In sports, it's got to be, well, it's okay. I got to find out some stuff about them. But then as I, as I go through the actual event or pro, uh, of game I'm playing, my focus has to not be on how good the other team is. It has to be on my process. 
It has to be on the things I practiced. It has to be on the game plan so that I can just focus on the things I can control and not worry about what's going on on the other side. And my focus has to be on giving my best effort all the time because that's what glorifies God. I'm not comparing myself all the time to someone else. Even in the three areas that we talked about, wisdom, speaking of wisdom, you seen that guy on Jeopardy? That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, uh, money, you know, we have money. Uh, yeah, uh, oh, they have this. I need to get that, right? Comparison in all those areas, in our body, and all those things, it's so easy to compare to other people and to think, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough. You know, I mean, I teach in a public school, so I see that all the time. And it, it, that's not what God wants. He doesn't, that's pride. If we let pride step in and we need to be better, we need to look better, we need to have more money, those things are just going to kill us. We can't compare. And finally, the third thing in this passage, after we submit and we resist, after we submit and after we resist, then I think the third thing can happen, and that is draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's another promise of God. But how do you draw near to God if you haven't submitted and you haven't resisted, right? Because if you haven't, then sin is still going to be there, and you can't draw near to God if sin is still there. Actions, brokenness and repentance are required to draw near to God. Those are not actions of a proud person. Those are actions of a, a humble person. And I think it's interesting in, in the sermon I preached last week in Hebrews 10.22, it said, draw near to God. In Hebrews 11.6 today, it, would you draw near to God, believe that he exists, and reward, right? So this is the third time in the passages that we've talked about. It's talking about drawing near to God. And we can only do that if we have submitted and resisted the devil. Then we can draw near to God because we're, we're clean of sin in our lives. We've accepted Christ's forgiveness. We're coming to him with a broken, unrepentant, and a repentant spirit. And we know that he is there and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So, as I think about my application for how, how does this work uh, in my life or others? I, I have to admit, as I thought about this, there wasn't one of you who came to my mind as being, oh, this sermon's for this person because they're so prideful, you know? I, I just don't think there's that many people that the sin of pride is evident that you can just totally see it in their lives in the church. I just, those type of people usually, a lot of times are just, they can do life themselves. They don't need God. If you're sitting in this seat right now, I almost said pew. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of old, right? Um, then you know you need God. You know that that's an important thing in your life. But how does it subtly, how does it subtly sneak in? How does pride suddenly sneak in our lives? I've talked about that a little bit. But, you know, do we believe God is in control of everything? Or do we just trust him in some things? And to me, when I think about you know, is God getting the glory for everything I do or I'm getting the glory? So I think about the three things in life, time, treasure, and talent, right? We all have time. We all have treasure, money. We're in the richest 1% or 2% of people in the world, and we all have some type of talent that God has given us. And so the number one thing that I thought about was just money, you know? I mean, God says in Malachi 3, right, that bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, don't rob me, test me on this and see if I won't, re re you know, 
pay back far and bless you far more than, than you could believe? Are we giving what we need to to God? Does he have, that's a control issue. That's a pride issue. I need to make sure I take care of everything. So I need to do this. So are we giving all our, financially, is God getting what he deserves? He owns everything. We don't own anything. So do, are we giving him what he needs? Number two is talent. Um, is there some gift or talent that you have that you could be used to serving others that you're not using right now? I don't know. If that's the case, you know why? Maybe it's not pride. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Um, do you understand? Maybe some of you think that your talent's really not good enough. You know, you've compared and you've looked and you're like, I'm not that good. I can't do it. Well, have you tried? Are you giving it to God, whatever you have? Or maybe you're using your talents and you're taking the glory for yourself. You know, how is your talents, how is God's use of your talents affected by pride? And finally, time. Um, you know, I get to work and I'm, I'm, I, I got things I need to get done to work. I got things I need to finish. I, 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 I. When I go to work, is it I or is it am I looking for other people? Am I looking for students who might need someone to talk to? Am I looking for another teacher who um, we need to talk a little bit? And I can fall into that trap. It's real easy for me. That's pride. That's, that's me trying to get my stuff done. That's selfishness. If you got kids, what's your agenda at home? I can truly say when, when we first had children that it's pretty hard to be prideful when you're changing a dirty diaper, right? I mean, it just is. It's just like you really find out how selfish you are when you have kids. And, and that changed me a lot. Um, so if you're at home and you're, you're um, to be a successful parent, it's a total giving of yourself to your parenting job. And then finally, on your free time, some of you are going, free time? What's free time? I have no free time. Are you kidding me? Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm, you know, my kids are empty nesters now, and so I have a little more free time than I did when they were home. So how am I spending that free time? I'll be honest with you. I've got to find some more stuff to do in my free time in the, in the summer and in the, in the winter, especially in the winter, because I coached basketball for like 35 years, and I didn't coach last winter. Woo, Sarah's going, I remember that. Yeah. I, for, I forgot how much time I spent on basketball, right? Laying on my couch and watching TV is okay for a little while, but I don't think that's what God wants me doing a lot. So um, how's that working in your life? So it's pride versus humility. Pride versus humility. Remember, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. And that's what we're... That's kind of what we talked about last week. The focus in the New Testament seems that we focus on others. And if we focus on others, then we're going to think, be thinking about how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We're going to be thinking about what can we do for other people. So as we leave this week and as we look to see how God wants to work through you, I think that even that statement can be a little prideful, right? See God move through me. Some of you are sitting there thinking, I don't think I really believe that statement that God can work through me. Some of you won't say it, but maybe you're thinking, well, I know God can work through me. I'm a saint. I can do whatever God wants me to. Probably not that prideful. But I think it's somewhere in the middle, right? It's somewhere in the middle where we know God can work through us if we're broken, if we're humble, 
if we let him use the gifts and talents that we have, the time we have for his glory. So as we leave this week and we think about pride and humility, I want you to focus more on how, just like last week, you can consider how you can spur another person on toward love and good deeds because you've heard the stories today, right? And it's incredible what God can do through people who are thinking about other people and who help other people. So keep that going. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time to hear about your work in people's lives and how you're encouraging us every single day. We get to come to church and we get to sing songs of worship to you. Thank you for that. Thank you for being a God who created, a God who loves us, and then somehow incredibly wants to use us. It doesn't make a lot of sense, and we don't feel worthy about, of that, but we know that you want to do that. And we ask that this week, as we think about others and as we think about how you can use the gifts and talents that you've given us for other people, We just pray that you would bring something to our mind, that your spirit would bring that person to our mind, that situation that we can step into, and you can help us make a difference because of the difference you've made in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.